ladies and gentlemen, it's time. Enjoy the show. Well, I was a fanatic. There's no doubt a fanatic. My goal was to get carried out of the wrestling room because of exhaustion, and it never happened. The thing it did for me every day about 6 o'clock is that when I got out, I looked back in, and there was nobody else there. Bottom line was I didn't reach my goal. So guess what happened? I went back in the room again. But I got some quality time because of just some kind of... We did it. Here we are. Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. Today's guest is Travis Paulson, who, for those of you living under a rock, an absolute legend at Iowa State, along with his twin brother. He's now making waves on the East Coast as the associate head coach of University of Virginia. And we get into his recruiting methodology, you know, some of the pillars of the program, and what he learned under the great and powerful Kale Sanderson. Enjoy this conversation. I hope you do as well. For past episodes, please visit WrestlingChangeMyLife.org. And without further ado, I take you to Travis Paulson. Peace. All right, Travis, welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I know you're winding down from a week full of uh, summer camps out of Virginia, um, and you're obviously the, you know, one of the, the lead coaches out there now. I got to know, you know, I knew you as an Iowa State guy, you know, multiple-time All-American with your twin brother at Iowa State. How the heck did you end up at Virginia? Uh, that that actually happened. I was at the NCAA tournament a few years back, and I had a chance to hear the head coach out here, Steve Garland, talk. And it was called a Champions Breakfast. It was sponsored by SCA. And my brother and I went in years past and heard some good speeches, so we decided to check it out. And Steve Garland was the keynote speaker, and he got up there, and it's just it's crazy how much he made himself vulnerable. Pulled, poured his heart out to everyone and just kind of if you heard if anybody's heard him talk you know he's a great talker but he's funny um he gets the message across and kind of stays on point but when we heard him speak that day we're Trent and I left thinking dang that was really good he's um he seems like a great leader and someone you you could really learn from so that we kind of left it at that and at the same time there was a transition going on with at Iowa State so um head coach Kevin Jackson was recently let go I was the head assistant Trent was the second assistant and so crazy enough a week after NCAAs ended we got a a call from Steve Garland he said I have an opening what do you guys think about um, University of Virginia and I said I don't know much about UVA but I heard you speak I was impressed I'd be interested in check things out and so flew out there, was blown away. I mean, I had no idea about the academics, about how beautiful the area was. And once I got there and what what brought me there was his leadership. But what I was really impressed with was the school, um, how, how much they support Olympic sports, their vision for the athletic program. And when I was just finishing up, I thought, man, you could really, you could really build something here. And I called Trent, and he was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you're full of crap. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You just want me to come, too. And I said, all right, well, come come, uh, check it out. And at first, I was just trying to talk him into being the the club coach and head fundraiser for the club because 
it's tough. Um, well, the only concern when there was a transition to Iowa State was if we could stick together because there's only two full-time assistant coaches. And so, I mean, we're twins are around the same weight. Sometimes it can be tough to stick together. But oddly enough, and Trent and I and Coach Carlin think this might be a God thing, but a week later, um, Keith Gavin, who was a former assistant coach at UVA, got a head coaching job at Pitt. And then he brought in Jordan Lean, who he coached with for years at UVA. And all of a sudden, two spots were opening up at University of Virginia with with someone we uh, had a lot of respect for and thought we could learn a lot from. And so it, it's crazy how just everything fell into place. And then when Trent came out here, he realized I wasn't full of crap and saw everything I saw. And ever since we've uh, we just been on a path on working on building something special in Charlottesville, Virginia. That's an incredible story. And it's, you know, looking back throughout life, no matter who you are, it's always interesting to see how these little things happen that you could never predict. And, you know, many times lead to something great. Um, now, I'd love to go back to that speech, though, because like if you if you're open to sharing, you know what was, what was the message? I mean, what was he? What was so compelling about outside of his delivery back at the the NCAA so, tournament before you got the job? So basically, um, I don't think a ton of people know this, but he he's talked about it in the open, so I feel comfortable sharing it. But growing up, Coach Garland um, had a rough upbringing. His dad drank a lot. His mom wasn't in the picture as much. And his brother um, was his one of his tight friends, and they kind of they went into wrestling, and they were both really good, um, both tough. But Steve was exposed. One of his uh, coaches shared the gospel with him, and he heard it, and he started coming around and started believing um, what he heard, and started walking that way. And his brother was it wasn't quite as compelled and pretty going down the wrong path. And basically a long story short, um, Steve went down one path and his brother went down another and they were wrestling at a smaller college. I think it was Buco and the program got dropped and Steve landed at university of Virginia and his brother didn't get picked up and, Ended up going, I think he served 10 years for drug trafficking and just kind of went down the wrong path. And he, he, he talked about how someone taking uh, time to share with him um, life-changing information and, and just the way that it was delivered to him. Like, you know, most people are selfish with their time, but this guy was a coach, but he was also a mentor. He cared about uh, Steve on the mat and off the mat. He wanted to see him grow in all aspects. And so the the amount of time this guy spent with him and developed him, it really opened his eyes to how much change he could make. And once he made that decision, he started going down the right path. And pretty much um, he said, if you would have met me when I met him, if you would have met me 20 or 15 years ago, I, it would have been a different person. And kind of um, he says that he's had a transformed life and, He's uh, for him to be saved um, and for him to be able to use his story to help others um, is something he's passionate about. So it was just crazy because I don't know, most people don't, if there's something that uh, it's dark in the past, you don't necessarily feel comfortable sharing everything. And he just opens, opens himself up and says, look at me. 
I was here, now I'm here, and if I can do it, anybody can do it. And he just kind of, uh, he says it a lot better than me, but he's just inspiration. I got to get him on here now that you're telling the story, and I, and I will at some point, so I can I can hear it from him. But man, that is, that's a powerful story. And I, you know, the, the more vulnerable people are, obviously, the more you trust them. So like, how do you carry that through with your athletes? So I'm sure you've had a ton of people help you in your life. And you know, now that you're a coach, it's not about you, the athlete anymore. How do you, like, what are some of your philosophies on, on building trust and helping kind of develop the, 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 the person as well as the athlete? So, yeah, that's one thing that I really liked about Coach Garland. Unfortunately, sometimes, and I've been around coaches, um, that sometimes with D1 athletics, it, it can be, um, how's this guy going to make me look good? Or what has he done for me lately? And here with, with Garland, and I've been blessed with great coaches along the way, it's, it's more been about how can I help this guy accomplish his goals and teach him kind of habits that are going to set you up for life. And it was more about, I mean, you have goals like, let's say I want to be a national champ. You get into wrestling because, let's say I have that goal. But it's not about the end goal. It's about who you become along the way. And these habits you develop in the process, what you learn. And I've never met anybody that cares as much about the athletes off the mat, like development, who they are, men of character as they do on the mat. Like a lot of coaches say, hey, we want to we wanna develop champions in the classroom and out, out in the competition arena. Most people say that, but when it comes down to it, um, if, this guy, if Joe can win and he can beat uh, Jimmy, who doesn't really do everything right, but he can beat mo- everybody else, then they're going to go Jimmy. But it kind of sets a, a standard that mm-hmm. everybody needs uh, kind of work towards and he develops people off the mat. He, I mean, he has two daughters himself. And so, I mean, with coaching, you have to spend a lot of time, but he makes, he's very, he opens his home to everybody and he makes time to um, pour into guys off the mat too, where I don't know. One thing that when we're recruiting, we talk about when, when you're looking at UVA wrestling, it's not just, it's a team. We're a family here. The door's open. I mean, you need to talk to someone. We're not going to be like, what the, hell, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, why would you do that? <laughs> we'll, we'll listen. We'll, we'll work through the situation. We'll learn from it. And we'll be better moving forward. And I don't know. Here we just uh, we want to help people win at the highest level in wrestling. And the academics here speak for themselves as the number one public school. And they we have the highest earning potential average salary for um, D1 wrestling outside of Ivy League, and we have scholarships, so we have a lot we can sell in terms of that. But just I, I one time uh, when I was at Iowa State, the head of compliance, one of the compliance officers was Ed Bannock, and he was, I'm sure any wrestling fan knows who that is. He was an Olympic champ, I think three yep. times NBA champ, and stud. And anytime I'm, I'm around um, people that have done great things or someone I feel like I can learn from I try to be a sponge and so at first my brother and I would just be kind of a pain in his butt learning the rules because we were young coaches starting out like hey can you do this no you can't do that but can you do it this way uh I don't know let me look into that so we'd make a lot of extra work for him but I think he got a sense for 
we just wanted to learn the rules so we could apply them, stay within the the context of the rules. And, and some 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 coaches, it, it seems like uh, I don't know about that. It's kind of uh, it's, let's not risk it, screw it, let don't do it. But I think you have to be smart and understand the rules, and so you know exactly what you can. It's not oh, I don't really understand it, so we're not going to do it. It's, I understand this is the rule. This is how you you can't get around that. You have to do it this way. So but you can do it this way. So like RTCs are a great example in colleges, but I'm kind of getting that point back to, uh, Atlantic. no, no, I I'm fascinated by all that stuff, honestly. And I do want to hit on the RTC thing because that's, it seems a little muddy where you think about like Alabama, if they had some club team and they're paying the head coach of that club team, a million dollars and the head coach is a dad of one of the athletes. That seems a little squirrely yep. to me. You know, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to say what school does that, but it seems like there's some, some uh some questionable things there and maybe i'm wrong but anyway let's stick to the i do want to go back to to this kind of standards because you know i'm fascinated by like a standard or a philosophy and you know both two coaches who i look up to the most john wood and and then um um steve is it steve walsh no it's the head coach of the four oh bill walsh sorry the head coach of the 49ers um you know john wooden had a philosophy and then Coach Walsh at the 49ers had this like standard of success and he has a, a great book on it, but you know, he can codify his principles that, you know, no matter what happens, we're going to live by these principles. And so maybe you have them, maybe you don't, but do you have a couple that come to mind that when you think of UVA wrestling, this is what you guys stand for, whether it's, we're going to tell the truth or we're going to look each other in the eye. I mean, do you have something like that or even from your competitive days? Yeah, for sure. Garland has the pillars of the program. And it's mind, body, athlete, athletics, servanthood. Um, and we kind of point to each pillar and we try to use examples with the team of uh, different things. But he, he actually said that he came up with this just in deep thought over a long period of time. And I'm this is kind of a wrestling podcast, but I'm sure that most people on here would know that UVA won basketball national title this year. and the head coach Bennett, he um, does a great job and learning from him and having lunches with him and picking his brain, he came up with some things and then Deep Thought came up with some more things and kind of put together his, uh, what he thought was important with uh, coach in terms of coaching and in terms of standard to point to. And so he's done a great job of uh, putting this pillar system together and he, he does the talk about it that we do it every preseason where we have guys come in and uh, we, so we have a welcome back dinner and the guys come in and their parents come in. It's kind of the, the moms are dropping them off in the dorms and crying and saying goodbye to their babies. <laughs> hey, there's a reason he's here. We have a plan. This is what the, the standard we're holding everyone to. And it's funny. He always jokes like, Hey, you guys don't want to hear it the same talk again every year but it seems like every time um it, it's usually a new group of parents coming in they they always love it or hear that oh i forgot about that part and he's just done a good job of making the standard clear and pushing people towards it and hold people accountable for me it's always been about um i, I mentioned ed Bannock and he taught me that they don't know no, they don't know what you know unless they know that you care. And so 
you're you're just the type of person of yeah yeah whatever they 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 call you past a certain time you don't answer or something's inconvenient no I can't I got something going on but then you tell him to do something and like yeah whatever he uh he doesn't really have my best interest at heart but if you show someone that um you're committed to helping them accomplish their goals you're meeting them in the morning for individual drills you're breaking down film with them um once once they realize that you are serious about accomplishing something special and showing them a roadmap on what it's going to take to get there then all of a sudden they, the buy-in happens pretty dang quickly and so when you back up the things you're saying you you let the guy know that hey and it's not always what they want to hear sometimes it's like hey let's let's say he has a uh, rough practice and he comes and we'll well, I was wrestling uh, Johnny here today, and I just couldn't get anything going on, and I was exhausted, and you, you saw me wrestle like crap. And I, I'll say, yeah, you wrestled like – I'm not going to say, no, you wrestled great, John. I mean, keep your head up. Just keep right. just keep playing hard, and you'll get there. I'll say, yeah, you wrestled like crap, because every single time you shot, you shot another guy's strong stance. You had no setup. Obviously, you're going to get tired when you're in a front headlock for seven minutes. It's like you're in great shape, but – if you don't have the right strategy or you're not um, putting in the right techniques, anybody's going to get exhausted. And so, again, if you're going to shoot, set him up, watch his feet. So the finish is a heck of a lot easier if you have great timing to actually get him stepping before you shoot. Or I talk them through situations, and it's not always something they want to hear, but it's what they need to hear. And sometimes they're, they're mad at first, but it seems like when you're honest with someone and, and it's, it's real and the end goal is to help them, they either come back later that day or the next day, and they're like, they say, thanks a lot for saying that I really need to hear that. I thought about it, and man, you were right. Or I kind of agree with you. What do you think about this? Or I don't know. We work together to get get to where we need to be, and that buy-in happens over time with them understanding that you're in their corner, and you're, you're not only there to help them win at the highest level, but set them up to be successful in all aspects like academics and when they graduate being a good father just everything you try to be a good model for it and it's cool that they come back and and they you know maybe four to five hours later they text you and like hey what about this so they're thinking about it at a high level a strategic level and that's got to be cool as a coach to see that yeah for sure and sometimes you're talking and you're like man he was rolling his eyes he wasn't really paying attention he didn't get anything out of that and then you'll have a conversation later and they'll be like, Hey, when you said this, I really thought about that. And that, that got through to me. So I don't know. Sometimes as a coach, you think that you're not making a difference and you are. And then how do you, how do you kind of suss out someone who's going to take this feedback and be a lifelong learner versus someone who, who maybe doesn't have an appetite to learn when you're recruiting? Because I'm most fascinated with college uh, athletics and recruiting. It's like, What's that experience been like for you just as you look back over your years and how has it changed from coaching in the Midwest at Iowa State to coaching on the East Coast where wrestling maybe isn't as popular? And maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe it is now. Yeah, it's growing. I mean, I'm from the Midwest. I wrestled in the state of Iowa and it's definitely the, I feel like the heart of wrestling, but you got Pennsylvania a few hours away from Virginia. There's a lot of New Jersey. There's a lot of great wrestling here too. I don't feel like it gets the same respect that it deserves that you get in the Midwest where you're filling. I mean, the Iowa state tournament seems like it's sold out every year and it's packed out where you'll have just as good a wrestling 
at some of the events out here, but it just feels like it doesn't get the type of hype that it deserves. And so, yeah. It's and living. what's the recruiting like out there versus the Midwest and the East Coast? Are there any differences or are kids pretty much kids? Um, well, the academics at UVA, I mentioned earlier, we're the number one public school. It's pretty right. dang hard to be able to get into school here on your own. And with that, with the athletics, you get, for wrestling, we get eight slots a year. And the eight slots are reduced standard to bring in um, athletes. And some of them, I think Garland said, and uh, he's heading into his 13th season. In 13 years, he's had, I think, three guys get in on their own. So three guys that were actually did everything. Oh, my God. Got into school on their own. Everyone else he's had to use a slot for to get them in. And what? When it, yeah, when we're recruiting and talking to people, it's actually kind of intimidating for parents and kids to hear. They're like, well, if it's that hard, how can – I mean, I don't know if I can handle the academics there, but the crazy thing is from being here – I mean, I went to school at Iowa State. I majored in business management. And from being here, they have so many resources once you get into school. It's like the John Paul Jones Arena they have. The tutors, I mean, free tutors, free mentors. Um, you get one-on-one attention if you're struggling in an area. You have class checkers and make sure that everyone's showing up on time to class. It's like, I think it's pretty dang hard to fail once you get into school here because of the resources. And I mean, school is school. I mean, some people think that it's about being super smart, but if you're honest with yourself, it, nine times out of ten, it comes down to time management. If you're not playing xbox until midnight or watching netflix all the time until you have your priorities done you're, you're going to be successful I, I mean we have some guys on our team i give them a hard time where i'll be how the heck did you get in here like i, <laughs> I have a hard time believing you made it in here <laughs> they'll like take their head and smile and they actually do great because they're just hard-nosed workers they're willing to put in the work and when things get tough They'll stay up late and study or get get the job done. And so you don't have to be in hindsight. Sure, yeah, it is really hard to get into school here. But if you if you can get in, anybody can succeed if they're willing to put in the work. And so that's one thing, point I wanted to make sure to get across. But with the academics that I mentioned, one thing I've learned with recruiting is, let's say, this actually, I won't name names, but this example happened a few times. Let's say someone's ranked number one in the country at their weight class, and he's won national tournaments. Um, let's call it the quadrangular nationals. He went to quadrangular nationals and won it, and but he's got, let's say, a 2.0 GPA out of a 4.0 scale. And then mm-hmm. you have another guy that got second or third, and he's got a 3.8 GPA, and he's responding right away on text messages. He's timely. He just displayed a few habits that you know are going to be important moving forward. So early on in our coaching career, admittedly myself and Iowa State, we um, sometimes we'd bring in the uh, that number one ranked guy. And I, I think I've learned along the way um, to pay attention to some things that happen. Like if you call a kid and set up a time to, to call him and he doesn't answer or he doesn't follow through, that's kind of a flag especially if it happens more than once or if you ask for some academic information say hey can you get this to me by the end of the day 
and they don't do it, that's kind of like, it's like, ah, that doesn't seem right. very important to us. And so early on, I think that we ignored those, those flags and was like, hey, this kid's the number one kid in the country. He can win. And so they came here. They were great um, in the wrestling room, but they couldn't handle life. Like, they wanted to do everything wrestling involved, but all of a sudden, mom and dad weren't in their ear driving them. I mean, they couldn't handle life. And so, right, right, right. One thing I've tried to do is pick up on the big picture. And so I'll go back to my example. In the past, we went with the guy that won the national title that was number one. And he'd get to college, and sometimes the kid that got second or third would come in and beat him. And it's like, what the heck? And so we came to a point where there was a kid we had there was that wanted to come and he was ranked number one at his weight and he was a big fan and wanted to come, but we got his transcript and it was not ideal. It was going to be tough to get him in. He was going to have to retake classes, take summer classes, and it was going to be a lot of work. And we had another kid that, um, he came to an RTC camp and worked with him and he was a really hard worker, great student. He was going to qualify for a lot of activities academic aid, wrestled um, at the same tournament, finished third place, and lost by a couple points or an overtime. So it's like you have both guys that are interested and want to come. Who do you go with, the number one guy or the, the guy that's a little bit behind but has the right habits? And now for me, every single time it's the guy with the right habits. Where in the past, right. you make the mistake of getting that top kid. And so we look at habits. Um, when you're talking to someone on the phone, um, what they're asking, like for me, when I was looking at colleges, it was never important to me. And I get this asked a lot. It's crazy. What well, what are you guys like Nike or Asics or Adidas? What kind of gear do you guys get? Like, I don't know. That never entered my mind. All, all I thought about was workout partners, um, coaches, <laughs> like, when when I was looking at Iowa State, I think Kayla just won his fourth NCAA title, and Bobby Douglas was the Olympic team coach. Um, coach the like, I don't know the things that you for me that were important to me were workout partners, culture, um, the major that I was looking at. Like My ASIC didn't, were, it wasn't a, even on your radar that they were sponsored by ASIC. Yeah, I guess. yeah. Uh, sometimes when you're talking to kids and they're like, so. Uh, are you guys Nike or Asics? It's like, oh, that's really what he's thinking about. That's one of the main questions he's asking me. Right. And right. There, that's just one example. But when you talk to a kid several times, you kind of figure some things out about what's important to them. And so you, you interview, let's say you interview 10 recruits, every single one of them are going to say, I want to be a national champ or my goal is to be a national champ, but only one out of that 10 actually understands what what that means like what they're saying because some people think that it's just doing what they're doing and eventually they're, they're going to get there but the people that have made it to the top understand how much work that entails and how it's a lifestyle not just a sport and how you have to have habits and so i don't know what i've learned and what i've grown on is the whole package looking at everything not just the wrestling and it's crazy when you get those people with the right habits how fast how fast they get there and how fast they pass up the competition. And so 
not always well, especially I was just going to say, especially technically, I mean, that's what you guys are there for is to improve them technically. You really can't, of course, you can instill new habits, but like the foundation character of who they are, as, I don't know, as I'm saying this, I'm kind of taking that back because when I was at 19, the habits I had were nothing like the habits I had now. So you can certainly replace old habits with new habits and improve your character, but I think it's a lot easier if, if they already have that strong character in place and then you're just teaching them the technique versus teaching them both, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And their passions, like, sometimes if Garland um, doesn't know if someone can make it here academically, like, they're real close, you don't know, you challenge them, you'll be like, hey, we like your wrestling, we like you, but I, I just don't think you can handle it in school. I, I mean, it's 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 tough here. you got to put in the work, and if they say, yeah, you're right, coach, it might be too hard. Or if the guy that fights for it and he's like, Screw that, coach. You know what? I I will. I'll make sure because I'll work that hard. There, there's nothing that I can't do if I don't come. Like, that's the guy you want. The guy that wants to fight for it and get there because um, I think as a coach, the, the most frustrating thing that you can come across is someone that's very talented. But whenever it gets tough, I say they fold like origami. It, they, it gets a little bit tougher, like, ah, oh, then they take a back seat. I mean, those guys just it seems like they never get there and they never want to look in the mirror. So when it comes between talent and toughness, obviously you have to have some amount of talent to be successful in D1, but the toughness aspect of it takes such a big, it's so much more important than just the talent. You have to have a level of toughness and perseverance and <laughs> adversity to push through. I think that's a huge key. Yeah, I'm hearing the themes of persistence, right? You know, pushing on when, when the times get hard and then self-reflection, which honestly are themes that come up every conversation I have on this podcast, which probably isn't a surprise to anyone in wrestling, but it's amazing how when you get in the business world, yeah, I'm in a software sales where, you know, you hear no all the time, but no matter what your role is, your ability to push through a bad boss, push through a bad month, a bad quarter, and not give up. And then if you know if you make mistakes, have the self-reflection to go, hey, I, I didn't close that deal because of this reason. I'm gonna improve on it. Like persistence and self-reflection seem to be pervasive in all areas of life. And wrestling sure has a way of bringing that out of people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. My um one example my dad said was a great leader when things are going good, they look through a window and tell everyone how great of a job they're doing and when things are going bad, you look in the mirror, and it's always, what can you do better? How can you learn how you can grow? I mean, since he said that, I've heard a few different speakers say it, but it's like, that's always stuck with me on leadership. And it seems like with athletes, that's one of the hardest things for them to do is look in the mirror. They always want to point at, I don't have the right workout partners, or I need to be at a different weight class. They never want to look in the mirror. That's one thing we challenge them to do because that that's one thing if you can make a connection on it connects to everything in life 100 percent. now i'd love to you kind of as we wind down here i'd love to pivot for a little bit and talk talk about when you were an athlete and even when you were a coach working for the great kale sanderson how many years did you spend with him from when you were recruited so, to when you stopped coaching when i was recruited he just won his fourth national title and when I got there my redshirt year, he was training for the Olympics. 
So sometimes my brother and I would rotate in on him and he'd stay out there. He was a little bit bigger and he was, obviously he's really good. So he could stay out there for a long time while we were rotating in. And it's not fun um, when you think you're pretty good coming out of high school and you just, there's a guy standing out there and you just keep going out there and getting your butt kicked and he's staying in there and you're rotating in. How good was he, man? Just unbelievable or what? Unbelievable in um, his timing and his feel. There's a couple of drills that he made us do. So my, he was the head coach my senior year and he made us start practice every day with a few different things that I think are really important. And sometimes if you watch him wrestling, it's like, it doesn't even look like he has to try that hard. It's just almost effortless with how he's moving his hands and feet, how easy the finish is. And a lot of times you see in wrestling, it's like, I hear coaches say, when you get in on a leg, that's, that's where the fight starts because the guy's going to scrap there. But it seems like when, when Kale would get in on a leg attack, it, there's not much of a scramble because it's either an ankle pick where he's blasting through. It's like he has you, then you're done. And his timing, like his feel and timing, as he as you're wrestling him and he's getting you to move and pushing and pulling and watching your feet, he's learning your reactions. And so let's say I pass an elbow and I watch where you're going to step. He's done that already in the match, and so he already knows where you're stepping. Your foot lands, his hand's there, and you're so off balance, you're already on your butt. And so I've never had a coach that's done as good of a job as he has on the timing and the eating someone's strong stance and keeping your head in the fight. So a lot of coaches I've worked with, they focus on a technical position or um, a shot, something specific, but the time he spends on the um, the timing and getting people to step in, because he'll say pushing and pulling and watching his feet, I don't care if you shoot an ankle pick here, a high crotch, an inside reach, a double, whatever it is, it doesn't matter but he has to be stepping. You have to know where he's going. And so a lot of the times you see the leg attack finishes are easy. And there's a reason for that. And that, that's a lot of connection. Most coaches don't make. What were the drills he had you guys do at the beginning of your practice that were unique to his program? Um, so one of them was beat the strong stance. And an analogy we use is let's say someone has a shield and I, I just sharpen my sword. If I just repeatedly swing my sword and keep banging into his shield, what's going to happen? Right. What's going to happen right. to the sword? What is? What would happen to that sword? It would get dull. dull right? Yeah. So, same thing in wrestling. Someone's in their strong stance, that's their shield. If I just keep shooting and shooting into that shield, it's strong. It's going to get, I'm going to get dull. I'm going to get exhausted because all I'm doing is shooting into someone's strong stance, carrying their weight. Anybody's going to get tired doing that. But if you start pushing and pulling, faking, snapping, arm drag, throw bys, underhook two on one, and you get them stepping, all the while your head's in the fight and you're watching reactions, it completely changes everything. So we, we do drills where, and it, it, we change up the drills based on, something we see in film that they need to work on, but we spend time on for, let's say if it's a minute ago, we'll do 30 seconds where you're just getting into step, push and pulling and no shots. All you're doing is watching his feet. It passes his leg. This is where he's stepping. I push. This is how he's reacting. Cause if you have a different partner, you could do the same setup and someone's a left leg lead. Someone's a right leg lead. They might be stepping different or someone just has a different reaction. And when you learn to learn reactions as you're, you're wrestling, 
it just the timing and everything becomes so much better. So we take time every day, 30 seconds, you're getting him to step, you're watching his watching his feet, and then 30 seconds, you're adding the attack. So you know reactions, and then you're picking him apart. And when you're picking him apart, you're never hitting and stopping on the shot. If you stop on the shot, I mean, especially over in Pennsylvania, there's a lot of guys that make a living on scrambling and scoring off other people's shots and cradling you off your own shot. So it's always hit and have a plan. Hit and roll corner, hit and get leg high, but it's never hit and stop. And so we, we emphasize the one, beating their strong stance, and two, getting to the finish right away. And I, I, I picked that up because I told you when I'm around great coaches, mentors, I try to be a sponge. When yep, Kale yep. won, when Kale made the world finals in 2003, I think it was. Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Yeah. The year before he won the Olympics, he got second at the world championships. He lost to uh Russian in the finals, close match. And he, there's a Cuban Fondora that he wrestled a few times that, um, wait, I don't think it was Fondora, was it? No, it was there Romero. Was yeah. Romero. Thanks. Thanks for that correction. Romero, he's still in the UFC actually, but, um, Romero would give him fits. I think he lost him a couple times that year. Fast forward the next year, he wins the Olympics. He has um, Romero in the finals, or in the semifinal, I think, or the quarters, beats him, and really handles everyone. And I said, Kill, I'm trying to uh, learn, pick your brain a little bit. I know that you got second year before you win and uh, win the next year and you beat guys that you lost to. What'd you do? And one thing that's cool about Kale, he's super humble. He hates being in the spotlight. That's why you don't see a lot of um, news articles or him talking just because, I don't know, he's, he focuses on the process and he never wants it to be about him. But one thing he, um, he said to me was, I didn't train any harder. I trained the same. I'm always working as hard as I can. I'm always pushing myself as hard as I can. So it wasn't that. It was focusing on... In the past, I'd shoot, and let's say I get on a leg, I might score, but I'd give up an exposure. I'd get turned off of my own attack, and that came back to bite me. I might out-attack someone, but I'd lose because i get exposed off my own shots. And so for that next year, all I focused on was quick finishes. If I and, – and this came down to my drill partner, too. Like, a lot of times you're drilling with someone, and you get it on their leg, and they're almost falling over for you. Like, I, I told my partners – if you want to, if you want to help me, don't, I mean, try to stalemate this position or give me a feel. If I shoot high crotch, try to get angle and um, crotch lift me. Or if I'm shooting here, try to chest wrap me. He challenges partners to give him a good feel on the finish and to try to get him stuck. And so when he'd shoot his go-to attacks, he'd get in and no matter how someone reacted, how someone, what someone could do defensively, he had a plan and boom, no matter what they did, they were in trouble. And so in that year, the only thing change he made, he said, was his finishes to the same leg attacks that he'd shot his entire life. He just had a plan no matter what they did, and he didn't hang out. He just got right to it. So I've always found that really interesting and tried to make an emphasis on it. Well, and even that same year, you know, Lee Fullhart beat him at the U.S. Open, and then uh, the Olympic team trials, they went all three matches. And so, like, he's definitely making adjustments just between the Open and the Olympic trials back in his day. And I think – yeah. You know, that, that's so that's what's so impressive about the guy. And then kind of last question as we wind down here is, you know, like, what do you, like, when you look at your own program and your own athletes, 
What do you take from Kale in terms of his ability to get guys to compete loosely and freely? One thing he does a great job of. So with wrestling, there's there's two fears. It's either fear of fatigue or fear of failure. So you got the guys that are scared to get tired and won't push mm-hmm. on because they're they're scared they'll run out of gas or they're scared they'll make a mistake or disappoint. Insert the blank. And so he does a good job of talking about, hey, let's let's break these down because these fears really aren't real. Because let's think about this. If you go out and lose a match, are your parents going to love you any less? I mean, if they're, you think if they're halfway decent parents, the answer is no. Is your girlfriend going to love you any less? No. Um, is your best friend still going to be your best friend? Yes. So it's like, I don't know, when you start really breaking down some of those answers that people honestly probably believe because they never break it down, it's not real. So it starts being freeing when you when you talk through different fears you have, and then you you talk about you don't you don't work your butt off every single day in the room to win a national title in a broom closet. You do it to put on a show, and if if you want to grow wrestling, like everyone that's wrestling is pretty typically a wrestling fan, so it's like to grow the sport you have to go out and wrestle to score points, and so. If you're not going to go out and wrestle for seven minutes to score points, at the time he was the head coach at Iowa State, he'd say, if you're not going to go out and wrestle to score points for seven minutes, you're not going to wear an Iowa State singlet. It's that simple. And most people can say that until one of their better guys goes out and stalls to a win in the third period and wins by one point. But he does a good job of holding people to that standard. I guess we had a tough team, so it's a little easier. You have some depth, but yeah, you you have to find a way to to do that because it, it became clear at Iowa State that year if you were going to be a starter, you're going to be on the time, you were going to wrestle to score points for seven minutes. And it didn't always have to be like, I don't know, you see a lot of take down, let them up, take them down, let them up. You can do that if you're that good on your feet, if you have to soften them up a little bit by getting another takedown. But if you're a monster on top, get on top, lock up your holds, turn them, turn them, turn them, get them out of there. And yep. He and it's amazing he, he did, figured that out on his own. Like he, yeah. Like, I mean, there's been a lot of great athletes to do it, like Pat Smith, John Smith. Obviously, there's there's a ton of great athletes, but for him to do that and then distill that into his athletes, it means that he's codified it, right? He's broken it down in a way that's repeatable because there's a lot of great athletes that aren't that great at conveying how to wrestle under pressure, and he's done it. Um, and I know you guys are starting to do it now at Virginia. You look at some of your studs like you know, like Jack Mueller. I mean, that kid's amazing. And, you know, he's wrestling really loose and free. And so I'm just always fascinated by, like, what you picked up from, from Kale that you're kind of taking into your own game as a coach. So it's cool yeah, that you're talking about that. Yeah, that standard has helped me a lot. Actually, um, when Mueller made the finals this year, he had a 90% bonus win rate. So nine, nine out of ten guys he won by bonus or more which is a pretty crazy stat. And, um, Insane stat. Wow. We talk about if you're wrestling, let's say I win a match by one point, but I could have beat the kid by eight points. Is that fun? No. I mean, it, it's probably nerve-wracking. I might lose to this guy that I'm way better than. Wrestling's not fun when you're trying to hold on to something or you're trying to just win. It's fun when you're wrestling to score points and you're – 
you're pushing it's, it's all about you it's never about the competition so if you're pushing yourself to continually learn and to roughly score points for seven minutes you're either going to win or you're going to get a heck of a lot better so like if you watch film with someone and you're working on a leg attack finish you get to that leg one time in a match and you don't finish you might be able to figure it out but might not versus the guy that hits the same shot eight times he finishes two of them doesn't finish six he's like hey here you need to get your hand above the knee versus the guy that doesn't take a shot the entire match how are you going to figure out that finish so it's like the guys that are going out to wrestle to score points you get a lot better faster because when we're breaking down the film more positions happen you learn something about yourself and then lastly it's fun that's when wrestling's fun when you're going out to score points it's not fun when you're just standing around and holding on and it's not fun for the fans either. So right. he just does a great job of conveying that. Oh, man, it's relieving to think about that too, right? It's like, hey, I'm just – forget about trying to win or lose. I'm just going out to do my best and, and get better along the way. And, that, and who doesn't want to do that? Like, that's a fun process to engage in. You know, it's not as stressful as trying to win or lose. And obviously, everyone wants to win. But if you do those things, that's going to come as a byproduct of it versus kind of like the main thing you're focusing on, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't think a lot of people know this story with um, Tyvin Gatson. So his junior year, I think he finished fifth or sixth in the country. And But it seemed like he, Tyvin was over, always super talented, but it seemed like he'd win three to two against someone that was good and three to two against someone that was not as good. Like he never really opened the floodgates right. and kept scoring points. Did more right. than he had to, and he lost his father to cancer. I think a week or two before the NCAA tournament, and I also lost my father to cancer a few years back. And so he was kind of struggling through some things. And so we developed a good relationship and talked through a couple. We we helped each other out through a couple different scenarios, and through that process, I think I gained his trust, and we. I was just talking about those different philosophies of when you're wrestling someone close, it's not fun. And also you can take it, you can take it another step too. If you're wrestling and someone that's not as good as you, if you're standing around with them and it's a one point match, all of a sudden they're getting confident. So like, you know what? This guy's not that good. I can beat him to where if you keep letting it go and wrestling like you're capable, you get up by four five, six, seven points. All of a sudden they're like, man, this, they don't, it's like they're already giving up because they know they're not on, like, on your level. And you see that a lot when Kale Russell guys, some of the Penn State guys now, it's like, it's almost like they go out there beat because they know the guy's that much better. He's going to create so many positions. And some guys, I think, are scared to get tired. It's like those guys are wrestling at such a high pace. They don't, they aren't ready to match it. And so it does a lot of different things. But with, with Kevin, I helped him realize that when you're wrestling to score points, it's fun. It actually makes the match easier, not harder. And his senior year, he went out on terror. I don't know what his bonus rate, his bonus win rate was, but it had to have been crazy high. And his senior year at the NCAA tournament, he scored more points than any other individual in the tournament. So when he won his national title, he scored more. I think, I can't remember who it was that year, if it was Taylor or Stever. There was somebody else that was another hammer, but he scored more points than any individual DNC tournament. It was like 10, 
10 major. He only had one match to his decision. Kid from Duke, I think, in the semis, it was wrestled everyone really close and then defending the finals. But for him to go from his junior year to winning every point, every match by decision to scoring the most points in the NCAA tournament was was cool to see based on just those principles that I learned along the way. And that's all in the mindset, right? I mean, his physical skills maybe got a little bit better. His conditioning maybe got better, but his mindset changed. And that's just, it's always exciting to hear. It's um, If you shift your mindset, things that can happen is, is pretty, pretty amazing, pretty drastic sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, Travis, I know we've been, been going on here for a while and we, I could, we didn't even get into a couple of things I want to talk about. So hopefully we can have you back on when you have some free time and maybe uh, Trent can join us, but man, I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks so much and have a great 4th of July weekend, man. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. All right. Anytime. Take, All take care, man. That's the end of this episode, but definitely not the end of the show. For more episodes, please go to wrestlingchangemylife.org. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a star rating. Show the love, baby. Show the love. Thank you so much. We'll see you again soon. Peace.